It's the Kyle Hyman Show on Redeemer Radio. We trust that there's a movement of grace that's still working and operating, that the Lord can work in these instances. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Flavor of the Week, brought to you by Cap and Cork Beer, Wine, and Spirits, with 15 locations in Fort Wayne and New Haven. In good spirits, in good company. In Flavor of the Week, Kyle sits down with one of our local priests over four different episodes to sample variations of a favorite food or drink while they discuss the ins and outs of life as a priest. Welcome back to Flavor of the Week, part four with Father Daniel Neeser. We're trying some IPAs, and we've got number four and number five. Captain Cork told them we're doing four, but they gave us five different to choose from. So we might as well try all five. Sad, right? Gosh. So we have our last two here. The Sierra Nevada Hop Bullet Double IPA Mm -hmm. and the New Belgium Voodoo Ranger Imperial IPA. So which one do you want to start with here? Let's start with the Voodoo Ranger. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Okay. That's different. It is different. Than a typical IPA, I would say. Yeah. It's double. (laughs) Is this one? This one is... No, this oh, is no, the, this is yeah, the Imperial IPA, which again, probably means something, which is why it tastes different. Right. But I imagine if there were words that were to come out of my mouth that would describe things, uh-huh. it would be like, this would be more of your smoky, okay, like woody, uh-huh. d- denser. <laughs> you know what? I So whenever we said Imperial IPA, I think of imperial stouts. Is so the thing what, I've is heard an, of. what is an imperial stout? I don't know, but a stout is more like a, a darker beer. And I feel like this kind of has a stout flavor to it. So yeah. I don't, I'm sure somebody could connect the dots for us here. I, I think so. But it feels like it's got a little bit more of like a dark beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The color of it isn't particularly dark. Maybe no. I mean, it's darker than a couple that we've had. But yeah. I would say, yeah, it's different, yeah. which I like. Do you want to try the hot bullet here while it? Yeah, sure. While it's before, cool. Yeah. So this one's double IPA. Okay. Hmm. And a double IPA, I mean, it, I have it, no idea. it means it's a little more, obviously, more intense with hops. But oh, is that it? The hop quantity? Yeah. What <laughs> you know? I should have done my research before coming <laughs> here. Like, what are the basic things I should know about IPAs? Is it enough that a guy just likes IPAs? Do I have to know everything? <laughs> no, I, I think actually that brings up a, a question because I think I did a game with Scott C. Williams from Sock Religious on Catholic Games, which people can subscribe to in their podcast app. And I asked him if you're allowed to wear sock religious socks with sandals. And he said he used to work in the wine industry and people would say, is it okay to put ice in my wine? And he said, no, unless you like it that way, then yes. Oh, and I feel like we've gotten into a thing where you have to like things the way the professionals like it instead of just the way you like it. Oh, I see. What is it about this need of, I don't know how to describe 
this in the right way to be able to appreciate it correctly versus just like, I like this better than that. And that's all that matters. Well, I mean, I feel under the gun here because people are listening to this <laughs> and we're supposed to try to describe to them what's going on. Right, right. And I feel like if I can't do that, then I'm doing a pretty horrible job at the thing that I chose. <laughs> but also the question here is, do you like it? Yes. The question isn't like, what would a connoisseur say about this? Right. And that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which I do like it. <laughs> Period. You want to know how it tastes? Taste it yourself. <laughs> taste it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. But yeah. Oh. All right. Let's get into this topic. They're, these are, I would say these two though are definitely more interesting than the other three. They've got I, I agree. more flavors going on, more intensity. I'd be curious to know what the, um, if they're like the double IPA obviously would have more intensity, more uh-huh. or less. Uh, at least that's my thought. And I don't know about the the Voodoo Ranger, but that might also be a heavier. That Imperial. Just a, it's just a higher on the IPA range as well. Yeah. Which would mean that there'd be more, yeah, this, these would have a little bit more going on. You chose the order of these. And I think you did a really good job of going from kind of a light to dark or a, like a calm to aggressive. Yes. Thank so. you. I did it totally intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, it was very strategic. I saw Which you, actually, I saw you it didn't, uh, well, with the, the dog. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Um, it worked out well. All right. So our fourth topic, we've talked about your discernment, your journey to the priesthood. We talked about World Youth Day and how that had an impact on you. We talked about running and mm-hmm. the discipline of that. The fourth topic that you had mentioned discussing was bringing people back to the church. Yeah. And I'm really curious of your take on this or what your thoughts are, because I think this is something that especially parents who have seen kids or somebody who's seen their sibling or a friend or whatever drift away from the church. Yeah. It's a question on a lot of people's mind, like, how do we bring those people back? As you as a priest, I would imagine all the more so that you see people that were once active, that were baptized, whatever, kind of drift away. High school students that just stop going to mass once they turn 18 and they don't, their parents aren't making them anymore or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the topic's pretty open and we're really just, I'm not here to provide answers, okay. but I'm here to just open up something that has been really on my heart and my mind the past three or four months as everything that we're experiencing has been going on. And my fear, I have a fear that we as Catholics are doing an inadequate job. And that's to use that term in the, but just, yeah, I could probably use worse terms for this. We are doing an inadequate job of inviting people into our churches. Mm -hmm. We have not done much by way of evangelization and that that scares me for the future. And I'm becoming more aware of, of a couple things that one, God equips us for this purpose to be missionary disciples. We're supposed to go out and to get people to come into the church Mm -hmm. because in the church is where you encounter Jesus Christ himself. And this is what we're supposed to be doing. So I'm becoming aware of like, this is our call. Like, this is what we're supposed to be doing. So if we're not doing it, then like, we're going to, we're going to have an itch that's not being scratched uh, in our soul. So um, that for me is like, I'm, I'm like, I want to itch this and I want to get going. But then as well that we 
right now with everything that's going on, the Lord is opening up a new opportunity for us to offer people something that is more and more clearly not being offered in the world, which are basic principles of joy, of peace, of fulfillment. As things around us are becoming more difficult, then we have this opportunity to say, hey, come on in. We have something that you're not going to find out in the streets, that you're not going to find in your schools, in your communities, that you're not going to find on the news. Mm -hmm. We have something that's unique. We have something that's better. We have something that's lasting. So this is what I want to talk about. I want to start re-engaging people and to start thinking about ways that we can get people back into our churches. So I guess there's two ways to look at it. The way you're saying it is getting people back in our churches. That to me is suggesting that it was somebody that was in our church to begin with and left versus somebody who's never been to church to coming. And I guess we that the word back implies they were once correct. And we and we've got those two, we've got those two groups. And there was the back in the day we had the Catholics come home campaign. Yeah. And like the statistics of, you know, however many people are Catholic. Like it's a huge amount of people that are Catholic who aren't participating in the life of the church. So Mm -hmm. that's one group of people. And then you you also have, I believe, a growing amount of people who have never heard the gospel, who have never been invited, even though they live in the United States of America, where there's a Catholic church on every single street corner, there are people who just don't know, they literally don't know who Jesus is. So we, I think, have an obligation to invite both of those groups, if you will. Well, and a third group is those that do know Jesus, but have a misunderstanding of the Catholic church, right? Like they might have a great relationship with Jesus, they're prayerful, they're holy people, but they're not a part of the Catholic church because of some misconception that they have. And I believe that any Protestant is not Catholic because of a misconception, not because of any truth. Yeah. And there's whatever sort of a lack of dialogue that's kind of transpired over the past hundred years or so. But yeah, those, that certainly is another group of people. This is all born out of a, what we experience at our parish in Elkhart. So we're we're kind of in downtown, more or less Elkhart, and um, there's just a lot going on down there. We're like inner city, more or less. Mm-hmm. A lot of different demographics, a lot of different wealth populations, mm-hmm. um, just a lot of different things going on. If people who we baptized actually came to church, like if all of the people who like came to all these different sacraments, who came to be baptized, who came to all these different things, if they came to church, we would need like three more parishes. Yeah in Elkhart. So the idea is that there's just all of these people that are there that we haven't engaged. And um, particularly with the Hispanic community, we have a whole lot of sacraments or sacrament factory. If you compared us to the other parishes in the diocese, I could be wrong, but I believe we do output the most sacraments in the whole diocese in terms of baptisms, Hmm. first communions, confirmations, uh, weddings, all these different things. Yeah. Um, so for instance, with weddings, quinceañeras as well. Not a sacrament. Not a sacrament, but uh, something near and dear to the life of the Hispanic community. Mm-hmm. Um, weddings, quinceañeras, um, baptisms, all of these things where all of these family members, all of these friends are coming into the church, but 
70 to 90% of them, they haven't been in the church for years. They haven't been, they may not be Catholic. And so, wow, Father Craig, the pastor now, and myself and Father Eloy, we see this and we're like, whoa. So we've got this desire to go out and to reach people, but like, here are people that are already in the door and here to experience this sacrament through their friend, through their family member that's receiving it. So like, here's an opportunity. What can we do to invite them back, to invite them in? So there's all of these things that are coming up in these past three or four months that are making us realize like, oh my gosh, there's all these people here. And what are we doing? And what can we do? Right. So that's laying the platform for a new conversation of inviting people into our church. Well, and I've heard this within the context of Christmas and Easter. You get this whole population that comes into the church that is not regularly coming. I've heard people compare this to if you were a business and all of a sudden had all of these people coming to your business that aren't your regular customers, what would you do to retain them? You know, like anything, you're going to try all these different things. You're going to try to get their email address. You're going to try to have a conversation with them, try to find out what their needs are, what their wants are. Like, how can I help serve you and develop a new relationship so that you're a regular customer? Mm -hmm. And not that we want to turn our churches into corporations, but we have this opportunity. Yeah. People are coming to our church, whether it be a quinceanera, a wedding, Christmas, whatever. People are coming to the church. How do we capitalize on that? How do we make them feel welcome when they walk through the door rather than feel like an outcast, feel like this is not for me? Like I'm just participating in somebody else's thing and I'm never coming back here again versus, oh, wow, this is amazing. I want to be a part of this community because the way I was treated, the way I was looked at, the message that I heard, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And obviously- To us as Catholics, the sacraments are the highlight. It's not the homily. It's not the greeter that welcomes you. It's not the aesthetics of the space, the quality of the music. It's the sacrament that keeps us coming back. And that's where we get our nourishment is from the Eucharist. Or if in the case of a marriage, it's the sacrament of the marriage that we're there for. It's not for the candles or the music or whatever. Yeah. But Sometimes those other things, as Bishop Barron would say, you know, lead with beauty. Those things that make us feel welcome are the things that are going to keep the quote unquote outsider, the person that doesn't feel like they belong, to maybe get a foot in the door and say, hey, you know, you are part of this community. We want you to be a part of this community. We want to welcome you here. And how can we serve you? Yeah. Yeah. I think to, that brings up two important kind of things that you can attack, I guess, or if you want to look at like, okay, how do we become better? So what are we doing to go out? So what are we doing to, to reach the people who are outside that are not coming in? Who church? are never going to come in. Who are never going to come in. Yeah. yeah. And then, so that's one. And then the other side is what are we doing for the people who do come into the church? Yeah. Um, Catholic or not. Mm-hmm. Um, the, so th- that's, yeah. Can, can we start with the second one? Because I feel like the reality is if somebody comes to a Sunday mass, is curious, wants to check it out. I've never been to a Catholic church before. What's this all about? 
if they walk in, the chances are nobody is going to recognize them. Nobody is going to talk to them. Nobody's going to explain what's going to happen. They're going to be confused the whole mass. They're not sure when to stand, when to sit, if they should go up for communion, what they should do with they do go up to communion. They're going to be so confused about the whole thing. And whenever they walk out, nobody's going to recognize that they were ever there. Nobody's going to say, thanks for coming. I can't imagine, unless it's a mystical experience, that they're going to feel welcomed, loved, and that this is for them. Yep. That's a great, great point. Um, So we have to recognize that the Lord, we, yeah, so grace is possible (laughs) for these people. So they could walk in and they could have a horrible experience with like (laughs) nobody talking to them, nothing happening. But uh, thankfully, our Lord does really good things with sinners and people who are generally terrible. So <laughs> the Lord can work through this. Well, so we, there's all kinds of conversion stories of people that went into a mass and they heard these words and they saw the sacrament and they were like, yes, this is, I, I need this. Yeah. But well, it wasn't because the greeter or the usher or the, the music or none of those things contributed to that. Right. But then it's not, it's, yeah, it's a, it's, it was God. Yeah. That and, then, that. and then on the other hand, it's like, well, you know, that doesn't give us reason to just like oh well god will just if he wants to work then he can do his thing it's like no we can (laughs) we we can we can do our part and invite these people in um who was it uh father john ricardo gives the and his his podcast gives the whatever the story of of somebody coming in and like the church is full and there's this spot that's open but like the person won't move Uh out of their pew to like let this new person come in but I think like the person came in and the person did move to let this person sit down. And apparently that was the catalyst to their just like, wow, this person let me like gave me a spot to sit down and to experience the mass. So they came back Mm -hmm. and that was the catalyst to them becoming Catholic eventually. Hmm. Um, It would be a good place to start within our own church, within our own parishes. Like what are we doing to make people feel welcome and that they actually understand what's going on and are able to to walk out with a greater possibility of coming back and hospitality is a good is a good i think word to to frame all of that mm-hmm. so so i think there's a lot to that not just hospitality of kind of having somebody holding the door open for you and and are you new here? Uh, you know, and some of that can be an embarrassing thing. Like, are you new here? No, I've been coming here for the every week for the past twenty years. <laughs> Gary, come on! <laughs> like, oh, sorry. Yeah, but so there's some of that to hospitality, but also I think the rest of the I'll, I'll just group it all under aesthetics, whether mm-hmm. it be visual aesthetics of the. And this is like the beauty of the mass. You know, the again back to lead with beauty. What people see when they enter the space, what people hear, uh, the quality of the homily, and in some of it, the hospitality would maybe be some of the explanation of things, whether it be a card in the pew or uh, a sign like, if you're new here, grab this little pamphlet that's going to help you explain. Because I think the, the Mass is not only one of the most sacred and it's the source and summit of our faith, but it's also some of the most confusing to somebody who hasn't experienced it before, who doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Because it's something for the, not an inside joke, but it's like an inside practice way of life. I don't know. Customs. Yeah. I mean, even for Catholics who've been going to mass their whole life, 
I mean, a lot of people may not know what's going on in the mass. Sure, sure. But they just, they're just used to how we do things. Mm-hmm. And so, so even for the well-trained Catholics, there's just so much there. So the transcendent beauty uh, within the liturgy, within the mass should be a huge part of that. And so looking at all of those different facets of, is the priest celebrating the mass with reverence? Mm-hmm. Has the priest prepared his homily well mm-hmm. and is delivering something that is of Christ, of the gospel and the readings that have been presented or of the saint or whatever feast or um, if it's authentic? Is the space arranged in a beautiful manner? Mm-hmm. Is the music played in a way that is not distracting but elevating to your participation in what is going on in the mass yeah so Uh, most of what you said seems to me to fall on the priest to either do himself or to give permission or direction to the laity well maybe to start with those are things that that a priest should be thinking about Mm -hmm. but there's other i mean there are there are other things that are extremely important like as a priest first of all the homily that Obviously, there's not much that I can do to help you with that. Right. As far as like the decoration of the church, I assume that shouldn't be done without the priest's direction and or permission. We'll be there for that. I mean, yeah. In so far, like the pastor particularly, obviously, this will be his his drive. What role can we as the laity play in this? At what point do we challenge our priest to say, hey, look, if I were not Catholic and I walked in here, this would turn me away or I wouldn't understand what's going on here. Yeah, I think a good question that I would like to hear more, more yeah. uh, after Mass is, Father, what can I do to help? Yeah, just that. Uh, just yeah, just that. Yeah. Just period. What can I do to help? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, and what th- might be helpful, too, is if you said, <laughs> I'm just kind of imagining, I can't just offer endless amounts of help. But what if I said, I'll give the parish an hour a week? It doesn't matter what time of the week, I'll, I'll rearrange my schedule if it needs to be a Wednesday or whatever, if it's a Saturday before the masses or whatever. Yeah. I give you an hour a week. How could I help you the most in, in that hour? I think that's great. And yeah. then that puts it on us to be able to, we've got somebody who we can, okay, let, we need to, we can think have about it. Gifts. Like, oh, you're very extroverted. It'd be great if you welcome people, the, the masses, whatever, or, you know, you're really got an eye for things. Could you help make this space more attractive? Or you got a graphic design background. Could you put together a brochure or a pamphlet for us that explains what's going on in the mass? Yeah, that'd be a good baseline to ask. Like I can imagine myself in a homily (laughs) or after mass telling everybody like, okay, you get one hour. Yeah. Tell me what you think you would do best in that hour if you were to give it to the church. Yeah. What would you do? Would you come here for an hour of adoration? Would you help us with cutting the lawn? Would Uh you be a part of our finance council? Would you be a part of our RCIA catechesis program? Would you be a, would you help um, make sure the flowers are watered in the altar? Whatever. Yeah. Um, That actually could be a really good question, I think, to ask people. Um, And because I think it can be overwhelming to think, I need to volunteer to fix a problem or anything. But if we can't spare an hour yeah. <laughs> to help out the church, in addition to the hour that we spent at mass, like now yeah. we're talking about 
two hours a week. <laughs> so I'm trying to get beyond the, um, like I'm going to Sunday mass and like, that's father, you're, you're asking a lot of me already. Right. It's right. like, okay. So there is a certain point where we should be able to challenge people and say, okay, we've met the minimum, but this isn't where we're supposed to stay. This isn't what we're called to. And so there's an authentic call for us to, to give to the life of the church for the increase of her members, which is really for, which is really, which is really evangelization, yeah. which is really inviting people to the the truth and the joy of the gospel. It's not a numbers um, game. It's not a competition. It's not about the collection. It's about souls. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something that I think is really important for us as Catholics and something which in the circumstances of the world around us, we have an opportunity to really attract people into our doors because they can find something new and authentic that the world is not, is not giving them right now. Yeah. So. Okay. There's 168 hours a week. Okay. So if we're going to mass for one hour, now we have 167 hours. Oh no, I can't do it. So I can't to give it, up Father. another hour to help out our priest. <laughs> now you're down to 166 hours for you to do whatever you want. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's for evangelizing to people that come into our church mm-hmm. that might not be Catholic or might not be practicing the faith. The other thing you mentioned were people that are not coming to our church would never step into a church because of whatever reason, whatever baggage or the way they were raised or whatever. What's your hope and desire for reaching out to them? I don't or know. Tactic? But I think, I don't, I don't know, uh, <laughs> but I think we should start with failing at okay. the very least. I like that. In the sense that like, what I'm afraid we're not doing right now is we're not even having any sort of contact with people who are out outside of the church. So, okay. So we go out and like most awkward scenario possible, you go to the gas station, walk in the door, go up to the cash register, say, Hey, I'm from the local parish. Here's an event that's coming up. Why don't you come in? Mm-hmm. And it's just like super awkward exchange. They say no. Yeah. They throw it away. Okay. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> you you did something. You tried in the most miserable way possible. So I think we can at least start by failing. So I heard this from Tim Ferriss, but I think he stole it from somebody else. I think it was in a book or something like that. And it's this idea that to get over that feeling, that fear of rejection, every time you go to pay for something, ask for 10% off. So oh, wow. you're going to check out at the grocery store and be like, could I have 10% off my order? And they'd be like, why? And just because I'm a nice guy, whatever. And just get used to getting rejected. Yeah. The idea is then you're not afraid to ask somebody to come on your podcast or to evangelize or whatever. And I like that idea of just within the context of evangelization, like just inviting people to church. What if you just invited your coworker to mass? He's going to say no. That's okay. He might say yes. Right. Yeah. And there's <laughs> like, a couple. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt anything no, to invite him. And there's a couple He's stories of, of people who have said after being invited, they've said, you know, I've been this or that. I've been around Catholic people for my whole life. I've been in Catholic school. And this is the first time that somebody's ever invited me to something. And the nice thing Which about is like, oh, that is, wow, you can make a special effort then to explain what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. You're coming as my guest. Like before you come, I just want to point out a couple things. You're welcome to participate in as much as you want. 
Like if people are standing, feel free to stand. You might feel a little bit awkward if you don't. If people are kneeling, it's a sign of reverence. So if you're not comfortable with reverencing what we believe to be the body and blood of Jesus in the Eucharist, you're not comfortable with that, it's okay to sit down. That's fine. You know, whenever we go up to communion, you're welcome to go up and just cross your arms and have a blessing. Like it wouldn't be appropriate for you to receive because that's, you're saying that you believe that this is the body and blood of Jesus. And I don't think you're, you do. Right. If you do, then great. We have a process for you to become Catholic. Yeah. yeah. We'd love to have you. Yeah. But just explaining some of these things to your friend beforehand that, oh, great. They agreed to come to mass with me. Let me give you a little primer before we do this. And 99 times out of 100, they're going to say no. That's fine. (laughs) Then there's the one. Right. There's the one guy. Yeah. So, so I think we can at least start by failing. Um, And then I like that a lot. And then after that, we're smart people we're also cultured people. And there's a lot of people in our parish who are familiar with all the different demographics, all the different work groups, all the different pieces in our local communities that we could intelligently have a voice to talk about a strategic way to reach these people, mm-hmm. um, whether it's different events, whether it's different um, different things, whether it's different groups of evangelization teams that are going around to invite people, what whatever it is. But just to talk about it, I think is important. And I think here as well, the there's an importance placed on multiple people doing this so that you don't feel like you're up against a world that says no, um, mm-hmm. but that together you can encounter these difficult experiences and together kind of share the burden and experience the joys when yeah. when they come. So I think it'd be a lot easier for you and I to go next door and invite people to mass than it would be for just one of us because we've got another person next to us who's able to help us in that conversation. So a long time ago, I was talking with Father Andrew Budzinski and he said that they had an evangelization team at St. John the Baptist and their first interaction with people when they go to the door is just to ask do you have any prayer intentions? Is there anything that I'm, I'm from St. John the Baptist. Can I pray for you for something? Do you have any prayer intentions? Yeah. It's not to invite them to something. It's not to, to ask them for, to give you something. It's just like, can I pray for you? And then, yes, this is my prayer intention. And then you walk away. That's it. And then the next time you come, maybe you do the exact same thing, or maybe you invite them like, Hey, we're having this, event tonight and uh would you be interested in coming yeah we'd love to have you yeah i think that's important um i mean what a, and, a soft sell more yeah or less. And, and mass not to be that first thing right probably because yeah the reality is that it might mass might scare people away um it shouldn't and it may not if we have good teams of hospitality people like okay yeah. it we'd make it the best possible scenario but we are interested in relationship mm-hmm. we are interested in community we are interested in things that aren't just of the sacraments and so so there's many different opportunities that we can offer to people to to be drawn into something good right that might eventually lead to full participation in the life of the church, particularly in the sacraments, mass, confession, different things like that. Yeah. I think of that, those groups with Father Andrew and and how <laughs> if somebody was to come in my door and, and say, hey, I'm from St. John the Baptist, 
is there anything you can pray for? My thing would be like, oh, I get what you're doing. Yeah. I get what you're, you're, you're trying to be, you're trying to not invite me to something yeah. so that I can. <laughs> so, so with those teams then and with the prayer intentions, and it does ultimately, this has to be an important part of our, just our thought process in, in this, um, is that those prayer intentions need to be real. <laughs> like the people need to actually pray for these people. Oh, for when sure. they go to the door and they ask, do you have any intentions? Like that needs to be a serious ask. Mm-hmm. And really what it's speaking- And something that you follow up with. So if next time you come, like I know you asked me to pray for your son. Is he doing any better now? Yeah. Like I know you were asking me to pray for your house to sell. Have you had any good leads or yeah. whatever? I've been praying about it every day. And- be sincere about that. Like, I mean, if you're not praying every day, they don't say that you are, but. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and I think that that's so important. And that ultimately leads the door open to a movement of grace, to something outside of our own work that that might happen. So really, I mean, any work of the conversion is going to be given to the Lord to do. Um, and that we are just as agents, as instruments, the mediators so in our authentic, for instance, if we're praying for somebody, we're really, at the end of the day, going to give the Lord every best possibility to work with their hearts and to open up some sort of a different avenue for them to encounter a life of grace. We've got a good backdrop in this, in that when we as humans and we're trying hard as disciples and we're doing our best even if we're not offering people to come strictly to the mass, even if we fail in the way we use our words or or things like that, we trust that there's a movement of grace that's still working and operating, that the Lord can work in these instances. That has to be so important for us because we can't rely on just like, oh, we've got to think this through. And at the end of the day, like our plan is going to be the plan and it's going to work. It's going to, no, like God is going to work. And we're going to give him every best opportunity to work through us as instruments. So, so I think that's that that's an important thing to bring up as well. But so maybe first step, go to your priest, say how can I help? Yeah, and then maybe if you come to with some ideas, like here's some things that I think need addressed or some things that could be improved, and I could help with. Yeah, most people are generally very yeah. opinionated <laughs> right. about their parish, which is great, and we want to hear about that. We welcome. We want to open up dialogue for, yeah, becoming better tools, becoming better instruments of the Lord. So Right. But pointing out the problem is one thing, and maybe that's all you can do. Pointing out how you can be a part of the solution is another. There we go. And that's what, and we ultimately appreciate that yeah. more. <laughs> Here's a problem that I think I can help with. Yeah. That's a lot more helpful than just pointing out issues, which may... I mean, there's some things that you can't help with, but you see it that there's a problem and maybe somebody else can. Yeah. All right. Father Nisa, this has been a lot of fun. Good work. uh, We've got two IPAs here for your review. The Voodoo Ranger and the Hot Bullet. Um, hmm. So I think the Hot Bullet, um, I like the Hot Bullet more than the Voodoo Ranger. Voodoo Ranger, again, more that woody kind of. Yeah. that stout yeah, taste. Right. Um, but good, good heavier IPAs. So, okay. Rating them at the end of all of these five. So I would place, um, I still think just for me, so the dogfish head, our first one, slightly mighty, the number one 
out of the five that we drank. Out of all five, that's number one? I think so. Oh, wow. Yep. Okay. Then the locale. Hot Bullet, number two. Uh-huh. Then uh, Voodoo Ranger, number three. Founders All Day, number four. Okay. And Hazy Hero, number five. It's still hazy. Which, oh, the hazy hero? Yeah. It is still hazy. I mean, compared to the other five. Yeah. The other four. <laughs> it's definitely the hazier. All right. But good choices. Well, there you go. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks to Captain Cork for sponsoring Flavor of the Week. And thank you, Father Daniel Neeser, for sharing with us, inspiring us, and challenging us to evangelize. Always a blessing. Thank you. For show notes on this episode and to find more shows, visit kylehyman.com. And until next time, remember to leave room for the Holy Spirit.